Well, good morning. Good to see you all this morning. Well, we are back to school, aren't we? It is a new school year has started, and with that uh, comes a lot of things. With a back-to-school season comes many, many different things, just getting back into a routine, as Nathan said earlier, or maybe it's uh, just trying to get your kids back into their routine of going back to school and things like that. And so maybe, so earlier this week, uh, I was thinking on back to school and what it looks like to go back to school, and I wanted to, uh, I just looked up a few kind of statistics on back to school time, what it looks like for the United States to go back to school, and here's what I found. So between elementary school, middle school, high school, and college students, the U.S. has about 78 million students that are headed back to school this week and next week here in the next couple weeks to come. And so we've got a lot of students that are heading back, starting up a new school year. In the year 2020, uh, back-to-school spending for 2020 just in the U.S. was just over $28 billion money spent on going back to school, supplies, clothes, uh, technology, things like that, going back to school. And this year for 2021, it's projected that the U.S. will spend over that, will spend, get up to $32.5 billion just on back to school spending. Uh, the national average for the household, uh, that a household spends on kids back to school supplies and things like that is $850 per household. And then this one hits especially close uh, to me, hits home to me. The National Association of College Stores found that in the 2018 and 2019 school year, college students spent an average of $415 just on textbooks. That's ridiculous if you ask me because I'm one of those college students. So uh, there's, that's just a few kind of things as we go back into school here in the next couple weeks. There's a lot going on, right? There's a lot happening going uh, back to school. We're embarking on a new school year. And while it's an exciting time for students and it's an exciting time for teachers as well, it's also a time where anxieties start to creep back in. The pressure maybe for students to complete assignments, to complete homework, projects, and all of that be involved in their sports or extracurricular activities at the same time, all while trying to eat three square meals a day and get eight hours of sleep, which most of them do not get a full eight hours of sleep. For teachers, maybe it's exciting that you've got those kiddos coming back, but you've got all those lesson plans to do. You've got all those assignments and projects to grade as well, all of those homework assignments, and then you've got your own families, your own children to attend to as well. Now, for parents, you're, you're responsible for getting your kids ready in the morning now, making lunches, bring, being impromptu tutors for that homework that you really don't understand, but you're going to try and help your kid with anyway. There's a lot going on. For administrators, especially right now, our school district administrators, there's so many decisions that have to be continually made in a year like we're living in, especially last school year, and it doesn't look like this school year will change. It looks like there will be a lot of decisions to be made. And so this morning, as we get back into a new school year, and like Nathan said, for a lot of us, the school year kind of signifies getting back into that routine of the fall. That's how I find myself. And so this morning, uh, what I want to do quickly is just look at what it would look at to give you three keys to a good school year. 
Three keys to a good school year. Now, this isn't just a message for students and for teachers, but it's a message for all of us, right? These are three keys that not only uh, go for a good school year, but also just to the start of a maybe more normal routine that you find yourself in as well. And so if you have your Bibles, whether you've got just your physical Bible, your device, whatever you have, I encourage you to turn to Philippians chapter 4. That'll be our text for this morning. And what I want to do is I want to give you, like I said, three keys to a good school year. What we'll look at is more three questions that we'll answer for ourselves. So we'll look at how to greet every day, how to treat every person, and then how to meet every problem. Those are the three questions that we'll answer that will give us our three keys to a good school year. So like I said, Philippians chapter 4 is where we'll be this morning. Paul obviously writing to the Philippian church mainly to thank them for their partnership with him in gospel ministry. And as Paul is approaching here, the the end of his letter to the Philippian church, he's giving them one last set of exhortations, one last set of encouragements to them, and that's where we'll drop in this morning. So read along with me, Philippians chapter 4, starting in verse 4. The Bible says, Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your patience, your gentleness, excuse me, be known to everyone The Lord is near. Don't worry about anything, but in everything, through prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Let's pray this morning. Father God, we are thankful for a new school year. God, we're thankful for uh, just the opportunity, as we've already said this morning, for our our children and and our teachers and our administrators, Father, to start a new year. And God, and in a year that is so different, God, as we've just, we've come out of a school year that's been so different, God, and we're going into one that may still be a little different, God, we pray that you would give us strength. God, we pray that you would give us patience. And God, as we, as we look at our text this morning, God, I pray that you would uh, just show us from your word how we, God, as we start this new school year, how we can do so well. And it's in your son's holy name we pray. Amen. So, like I said, first, first of all this morning, three keys to a good school year. The first that I want to give you, the first question we should ask ourselves is, how do we greet every day? The first key to a good school year, how do we greet every day? And that is with rejoicing, all right? How do we greet every day with rejoicing? Go back to look in verse 4, we get it very plainly. Rejoice in the Lord always, I will say it again, rejoice. And and as I look at this, as we look at just this first part of the verse, I want to ask you this kind of rhetorical question. What is your first thought in the morning when you open your eyes? What is your first thought as soon as you open your eyes in the morning before your feet ever touch the ground? Maybe for the students in the room, it's the upcoming assignments you need to get done, the test you have that day, you know, the, maybe the assignment you really didn't get done before it's due that day. Maybe for you, maybe for the adults in the room, it's those, those uh, emails that you didn't get to the day before. It's all the things you know are coming that day at work. For the parents, maybe it's automatically the lunches you have to get packed for the kids and make sure they're dressed for school and out their door on time. Or maybe it's that pesky check engine light that won't turn off on your car for the past week. 
And when we wake up in the morning, our minds can run in so many different directions, even just in the first few minutes of our morning. And how different would our days look? If, if instead of immediately thinking about all the things that we have to do and all the things that are coming up in our day and all of this and that and this, instead, what if we just immediately rejoice for another day that God has given us? What would it look like for, for us that if in the midst of the anxieties and the worries of life that so easily overtake us as soon as we wake up in the morning, what if we simply slow down? As soon as we wake up, as soon as we open our eyes and give thanks for the day that the Lord has given us on this earth. And when we look back at, at, ver at verse 4 here in our text, Paul doesn't merely suggest, right, for us to rejoice, but he gives us an emphatic command, right? He just says, rejoice in the Lord always. I again say it, rejoice. Not only does he say it once, but he repeats himself for emphasis, Paul repeats himself to get us to notice how important it is that we rejoice. And when does he say to rejoice? He doesn't just say when things are going well, right? He doesn't say when, when it looks like all is well in the home or maybe on Tuesdays or Thursdays or something like that. No, he says, I will say it again, rejoice, rejoice always. Paul is reminding the Philippian people and us through that, that our joy is to be unchanging. Our joy remains steadfast despite the circumstances of life. And I think it's important for us to remind ourselves of that because it's so easy for us to slip into the trap of being very, very negative. I think it's easy for us to slip into the trap of this, this just constant pessimism of the day that we find ourselves living in. I mean, it's easy to be negative, isn't it? It's easy to find something to complain about, but rejoicing requires a choice. To rejoice, we, we must choose to rejoice in the day that the Lord has given us. We must choose to rejoice in the blessings that He's given us. We must choose to rejoice in the ways that we see the, word, the Lord working in our lives. We must choose to rejoice despite the circumstances that we find ourselves in. And I've said before that Satan's favorite tool to use against believers is his tool of discouragement. And he's pretty good at doing that. He will use absolutely anything he can get his hands on to discourage us as believers. And many of us don't choose to rejoice, but instead we let Satan have that foothold in our lives by discouraging us. And not only is it imperative for us to rejoice for our own sake, but also for the sake of others. In 2 Corinthians 5, Paul tells the, the Corinthian church that they are ambassadors for Christ. In Galatians 5, we get the fruit of the Spirit, right? But the fruit of the Spirit is love. And what's that second one? Joy. So we see that it's important for us to have joy, not only for ourselves, but for the sake that others will see joy in us and through us and see the joy of the Father in us. They will know we are believers by our fruit. And one of the fruit that we are to have that is supposed to embody our lives is to rejoice. And so, for a new school year, for this first key to a good school year, I would just tell you and just admonish you again to choose to rejoice in the Lord each day. 
Choose to rejoice in the Lord each day. Before your feet hit the floor in the morning, just take a moment to thank God for another day. Thank God for another day that He has given you to be on this earth. Rejoicing looks different for each and every one of us. It doesn't have to be that. So maybe, maybe you can ask yourself this question this morning. What stirs your affections for Jesus? What stirs your affections for Christ? Right? Maybe it's listening uh, to worship music on, on your way to work. Maybe it's spending that extended time in the Word in the mornings. Maybe it's taking a nice stroll outside. Maybe not right now because it's really hot outside. But at some point, maybe you'll be able to take a little walk outside. Ask yourself, what stirs my affections for Jesus? What makes me feel closest to Christ? Do that and rejoice in it. Find that rejoicing. Find that joy in what stirs your affections for Christ. So the first key to a good school year, how do we greet every day with rejoicing? The second key to a good school year, I ask, how do we treat every person? And that's with gentleness. How do we treat every person with gentleness? Look at verse 5 with me back in our text. Let your gentleness be known to everyone. The Lord is near. Paul's next instruction for these believers in Philippi is that they are to be marked by a spirit of gentleness. And your translation may have something different. It may say graciousness, forbearance, mildness. There are several different things that translations have there. Uh, One commentator says that this gentleness that Paul is instructing here is a direct product of the joy that he just instructed the believers to have in verse 4. Now he, he's saying that, he, this commentator says that the gentleness that Paul instructs the believers here in Philippi to have comes out of the outpouring of joy that he just admonished them to have as well. Out of an outpouring of a life marked by joy of the Father comes a life marked by a gentle spirit. And what does it mean to be marked by a gentle spirit? Like I said, because there's so many different translations of the word gentleness there, Now, many commentators say that there's a spirit of selflessness that is behind this gentleness that Paul is telling us. And one commentator says it this way, this is his quote, It is that considerate courtesy and respect for the integrity of others which prompts a man not to be forever standing on his rights, and it is preeminently the character of Christ. Paul models this character of gentleness earlier back for the Corinthian church, and he admonishes them to do the same in, in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 1. He says, Now I, Paul, appeal to you by the meekness and gentleness of Christ. I who am humble among you in person, but bold towards you when absent. Paul emphasizes the meekness and gentleness of heart that he takes from the example and person of of Christ. And Paul emphasizes this characteristic of gentleness, of meekness, several times in his writings, as it is to be an evident quality in the lives of individual believers and the church overall. And we, as believers, are to take the example of Christ in our lives, being gentle in our dealings with others. And in the 21st century, in 2021, gentleness is sometimes something that's hard to come by. Gentleness is something that it seems our world has lost. 
many times. In our, in our dealings with others, in our conversations with others, we can become so intense with them that we forget that these people we're talking to are image bearers, created and loved by our God. We become so focused on being right, on getting our point across at all costs, that we completely abandoned this important command of embodying the gentleness of Christ. Oftentimes our words become a bludgeon to tear others down instead of words that should build them up. And sometimes our attitudes are not over something so serious at all. Sometimes we've simply just had a bad morning. Maybe sometimes we've, we sat in traffic on the way to work this morning or, or our coffee may have spilled out when we were on our way to work and we just kind of snap at people for no reason. We, have, we maybe have that sour attitude towards other. And look back in verse 5, Paul emphasizes why this gentleness, gentleness is so important. Let your gentleness be known to everyone. And then he says, the Lord is near. Christ is, is coming again as, as judge. We know that as believers and he will judge his people. And this is one of the qualities that he will judge his people on. Having personified this gentleness himself, he knows what this gentleness looks like and will look for it in the lives of His people. He wants us to be people that are gentle. So as, as we embark on this new school year, to, as we strive to treat every person with gentleness, I would remind us of what James says, first chapter of James in verse 19. How do we be gentle? James says, be quick to listen, be slow to speak, and slow to become angry. And I think, I think James here gives us the correct response and if, if we want to be gentle in all our dealings with others. Quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry. We are to embody a spirit of gentleness for this new school year. So that's our second key to a good school year, how to treat every person, and that is with gentleness. And then third and finally... How do we meet every problem? And that's with prayer. How do we meet every problem with prayer? Look back at verse 6 with me. Don't worry about anything, but in everything, through prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your requests to God, and the peace of God, which passes all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. How do we meet every problem with prayer? Paul's third command here is that he gives the Philippian churches to meet every problem, every anxiety that they have with prayer. And Jesus spoke on worry and, and anxiety at length back in the Sermon on the Mount. If you want to turn there with me real quick, Matthew chapter 6, in the Sermon on the Mount, starting in verse 25, he talks about worry, talks about anxiety at length. Matthew chapter 6, starting in verse 25, he says, Therefore I tell you, don't worry about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, or, more, or about your body, what you will wear. Isn't life more than food and the body more than clothing? Consider the birds of the sky. They don't sow or reap or gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Aren't you worth more than they are? Can any of you add one moment to his lifespan by worrying? And why do you worry about clothes? Observe how the wildflowers of the field grow. They don't labor or spin thread. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was adorned like one of these. If that's how God clothes the grass of the field, 
which is here tomorrow and thrown in the furnace tomorrow, won't He do much more for you, O you of little faith? So don't worry, saying, what will we eat or what will we drink or what will we wear? For the Gentiles eagerly seek all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things will be provided for you. Therefore, don't worry about tomorrow, because tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Jesus speaks on some of the simplest things here that cause us worry in our lives, doesn't He? Speaks on food, speaks on uh, drink, He speaks on clothing and, and the future. And even in contemporary life, taking it out of the first century, let's jump back to 2021. And even in uh, contemporary life, with all the things that we have going on today, many of our worries, many of our anxieties boil down to these simple things. Oftentimes, our, our worry and our anxiety can be traced back just to simple things like what Jesus was speaking on in Matthew chapter 6. And, and for every problem, every worry, and every anxiety, Paul's Paul puts forth the cure to anxiety, and Paul's cure for the anxieties of life is prayer. That is Paul's cure for the anxieties and worry of life, prayer. One of the biggest things we have to remember about worry is worry is one of the greatest thieves of joy in our life. Worry will rob us of the joy that we have and that we are seeking in each of our lives. Our worry often takes our eyes off of Christ. Our mind and our eyes start to drift towards all the things that we have going on, all the things that are causing us worry, all the anxieties that we have. And prayer is what can refocus and rebring our eyes back on Christ. I mean, we are uh, to approach the feet of God and we are approach Him and give all of our worries and our anxieties to Him. He wants us, He invites us to come to His feet. He wants us to come to Him and bring what we have and lay it at His feet. And in verse 7 of our passage this morning, back in Philippians 4, verse 7 gives us the result of our prayer. Look at verse 7. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. The result of that prayer is the peace of God. The peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Will guard our hearts and minds from that worry, from those anxieties. Peace of God. And so when, when we think about uh, meeting every problem with prayer, when we think about uh, prayer, prayer carries with it several different aspects. And we get some of those in, in these verses that we've read this morning. Prayer carries with it adoration, it carries worship, it carries thanksgiving to God. And, and when, we, when we pray, when we want to come to the feet of Jesus, we should do so with a certain spirit. We should, we should come into the throne room of God with a calm spirit. And so when we think about meeting every problem with prayer, it's important for us to do that. And so when you think about praying, when you think about what it means to pray, do you have a certain way that you would pray? Because here in verse 6 it says, don't worry about anything, but in everything through prayer and petition with thanksgiving. 
It gives us some, some keys, maybe some, some things certain, some specifics that we can pray for. And so do you have that model, a model of prayer to use when you pray? If you do, or if you don't, maybe here's an easy one to remember you may have heard before that I can maybe give you that would help in this meeting every problem with prayer. It's simply the ACTS model of praying, A-C-T-S, ACTS. And so whenever you're thinking about praying ACTS, each letter stands for a different part of that prayer. So the first part, A, is adoration. When we come in to pray before God, we spend the first few moments adoring Christ for who He is. Seeing and, and telling God who He is and who we see Him and how we see Him uh, working in our lives. That's the first part, A, adoration. The second letter, C, is confession. Because we are commanded, we know that we are to confess our sins before God. We are supposed to come and lay those at His feet. And maybe we spend just a few moments in that time of prayer, confession. And then the next letter, T in Acts, thanksgiving. We, we get this piece here in uh, Philippians chapter 4. We spend a little bit of time thanking God for the things that He's doing in our life. Thanking God for uh, the ways that He's working. Thanking God for the blessings that He gives. And then that last letter of Acts, S, supplication. That's when we come and we make our requests known to God. We come before Him and when we make known to Him what we are asking for, we come and ask in faith for Him to work. We come and ask in faith to help us with these problems, to help us with the anxieties of life. We come and we ask Him for that. And that's an easy model of prayer to remember. Acts, A-C-T-S, adoration, confession, thanksgiving, supplication. And so this morning, like I said, we've, I've given you what I think uh, to be three great keys to a new school year. How to greet every day with rejoicing. How to treat every person with gentleness. And how to meet every problem with prayer. These are three keys to a good school year, but we can't have a good school year. We can't start a good school year without knowing the Good Shepherd. Without knowing Christ, without having that personal relationship with Him, we're never going to have a good school year. And so uh, this morning, maybe you're here and you, and you don't know Christ. Maybe you don't know the Good Shepherd. Man, today is the day for that to change. This morning, today is a day that can be for salvation. Today is a day that you can come to know Christ and have that relationship with Him. Maybe you're here this morning and as you start a new school year, uh, maybe as, as Nathan put it very, very well earlier, you're tired. <laughs> maybe the past year has been one that's beat you down a little bit. Maybe you feel yourself running on some fumes. Maybe this morning can just be a day where you come before God and say, man, this year, this new school year, this new year that we're starting, man, I am coming before you, God. And I'm saying I want to be and I want to renew my relationship with you. I just want to set out this year to say I'm going to be closer to you this year than ever. Let's go to the Lord in prayer this morning. Father God, we are again thankful for just the time that we've had together this morning. 
God, we're thankful that as we start this new school year, God, that you were not far off from us. God, that we are not uh, walking through this life by ourselves. God, we are not trying to do everything on our own. But God, that you are with us every step of the way. And God, again, we're thankful for just the opportunity to have a new school year. God, something that uh, after the past year, I, I don't think that any of us will take for granted any longer. And God, we're thankful that uh, this morning as we've, as we've read in Philippians chapter 4, God, as we've looked at maybe three keys to a good school year, God, that for each of us, that we would embody what you have told us in Philippians chapter 4. God, that our lives would be marked by joy, that our lives would be marked by a gentle spirit. God, that our lives would be marked by prayer. And God, this morning, there may be some in here who are hurting. God, the things of life, the worries and anxieties of life have just worn them down. God, I pray this morning that you would make yourself known to them. God, that they would feel you close to them this morning. God, that your spirit of of comfort, God, that your spirit of peace would be upon them this morning. God, I pray for each and every one of us here this morning that we would draw close to you as we embark on this new year. God, that we would not forget the importance of what it looks like of daily communion with you. God, of what it looks like to have a true relationship with you, a true relationship of reading your word. God, of, of coming before you, laying our problems, our anxieties at your feet through prayer. God, I pray for each of us this morning that we would embody that this new year. God, again, we love you. We thank you. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen.